This is Recruiting Daily's Recruiting Live podcast, where we look at the strategies behind the world's best talent acquisition teams. We talk recruiting, sourcing, and talent acquisition. Each week, we take one overcomplicated topic and break it down so that your three-year-old can understand it. Make sense? Are you ready to take your game to the next level? You're at the right spot. You're now entering the mind of a hustler. Here's your host, William Tincup. This is William Tincup, and you're listening to the Recruiting Daily Podcast. Today, we have Crystal on from LaunchCode, and our topic today is incorporating DEI into tech recruiting and retention. Crystal, would you do us a favor and uh, introduce yourself and LaunchCode? William for the opportunity to be um, here with you today. Sure. My name is Crystal Crump. I am Senior Managing Director um, on our company relations team. My background has been in relationship management and program management most of my career. For the past uh, almost six years, I've had the honor and pleasure here at LaunchCode to work as a trusted talent advisor to our employer partners and be a career connector to individuals in our job placement program. I help companies build a diverse, qualified tech workforce, and which is a win for the company and the individual. And for me, it's incredibly rewarding to do this mission-driven work. We're way past why DEI is important. I hope <laughs> I say that. We're way past why DEI is important. How do you actually do it? How, does, how do we do DEI tech recruiting? That's a great question, William. I think it is takes intentionality for mm -hmm. sure. That would be the first thing. And then just to get into a little bit of a, a background or set at a high level set um, the context. So Launch Code, our mission is to create pathways for driven people seeking careers in technology. What we know is that there are thousands of IT jobs, um, job openings each year that go unfilled because mm -hmm. there aren't enough qualified individuals. And we know that there are people within our communities that have the passion, drive, and aptitude, the ability to do the job. They really just need um, to be vetted, maybe provide some educational courses, some professional skills, and then have opportunities and be connected with employer partners that are willing to give, their, give them a chance. And Launch Code exists to do just that. So building, uh, interacting with different communities, I say marginalized, but basically different communities, what does that take for a company that maybe mm, hasn't done that as well in the past? What is it? Where do they need to start? Sure. I would say working, be present. So companies mm -hmm. that are looking to diversify their tech workforce, they have to hire differently. They have to be creative and meet people where they are. At Launch Code, again, we recruit individuals from diverse backgrounds, and these are people that have maybe are considered non-traditional and that they don't have a four-year computer science degree, but they do have the aptitude drive. They've been vetted. They've gone through our program. They have the skills. And again, they may not look like the traditional um, tech knowledges that recruiters might see, but they have the skills again and the desire to learn and grow and to be retained. And so I think just to consider these people that may not have the meet the job description or right. look like your typical candidate, at the same time, they can do the job if given the opportunity. 
what gets us into kind of the job descriptions themselves and how kind of faulty they are? Because I think one of the things that you're dr- driving into is the potentiality of someone. Is not just, okay, you have a, a BA and a BS in computer science and you've got four years of experience, X, Y, Z. That stuff automatically puts a lot of folks off because they don't, for whatever reason, they don't have those things. And so how do we get to the things that you've really touched on is the skills, the potentiality, the aptitude, I think is also some of the things that you use. How do we, how do you evaluate those? How do you know that those, the candidates have those things? And then how do you convey that, hey, the way that we've been looking at technologists and the way that we recruit technologists has been a little faulty. And so let's look at, let's look at candidates differently. Sure. Um, I think it is definitely just asking questions um, and trying to understand the individual's way of thinking and and problem solving. I think it's just really understanding how they've taught themselves something. So here at LaunchCode, as part of our um, enrollment process, we have a critical thinking, just wanting to assess how do you have the stick-to-itiveness that it'll take to get through this program? It is a very rigorous program, and we understand tech isn't for everyone. But if you um, really want it, truly want it, and can complete the application process, um, showing and, and showcasing that you have been able to overcome challenges and, re- and teach yourself things and have the resourcefulness that it takes to become a technologist. We're willing to give you uh, an opportunity to get into the program, teach you the skills, and then we have a job readiness program to further assist learners in our program, candidates with those soft or professional skills needed to really land their first job in tech. I think it's just meeting people where they are and, again, assessing for the underlying grit and resourcefulness and then mm-hmm. assisting with filling in the gaps where needed. And Yeah, I was going to ask you about soft skills because I can clearly see the kind of the path to hard skill development. People learning, okay, if it's coding, getting people into classes, learning certain things. Like I, I can see that part, especially the excitement of that as well, especially if a community hasn't had that. And all of a sudden it's, okay, here, we're going to work on gen- generative AI and let's look at that. And then teaching them, et cetera. Like I can see that part, the mm-hmm. soft skill stuff. I wonder if employers okay, the technical skills, okay, it looks like they're on path. We can definitely take them and then mold them into a next phase of what we need. But I could also see them also asking questions about soft skills. Take us into that kind of world and wait from your customers and also your, your students, your candidates as well. Okay, what do they need? What are, what, where are, they, are there any gaps? So let me just start with the assumption. It <laughs> might be fault, faulty. Are there soft skill gaps? And if there are, what do you perceive that customers want and how do y'all approach it? Oh, that's a great question, William. Working throughout the program, we are surveying and setting expectations with our learners and candidates on what success looks like um, and how their prior experience, many of the individuals in Launch Coast programs are career changers. Uh-huh. Um, they worked in previous industries, so many come from maybe a customer service background or they were a teacher or maybe worked in healthcare, and they have experience working frontline with customers. And now we have provided the tech skills that have 
can complement their prior experience. And so we are uh, working with individuals in the program to show them how their previous experience and skills will align with their new potential career in technology. So, oh, that's interesting. So it's, it's some of the things we see with veterans. It's it's translating what they did in the military as mm-hmm. to what what I call a corporate recruiter or how corporates would look at that. And you're doing some of the same things. You're translating. Okay, you did these things. Okay, here's how that applies over here. Absolutely. Those transferable skills are invaluable. And then now that with their newly developed or tech skills, they can marry those two and bring all new perspectives and unique ideas to a, an organization's technology department. As I grew up, you know, DI diversity was, we didn't have all the other letters behind it. It was just diversity. It was basically race and gender. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, thankfully, that's expanded. What are your customers? How do they think of DEI? William, like you mentioned, D E and I, and, and it's also B. Hello, belonging piece, and in a good way. This is a good thing. I don't mean to make light of it because it's diversity, inclusion, equity, equality, belonging—they're all important. They're all important. They're all important, and yes. all different. Yeah. Yes, I think um, companies understand or have over the past few years taking more of an an effort and to create policies and culture that support diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging, and having programs and difficult conversations to discuss and address biases or other factors that might hinder or make the workplace less desirable um, for diverse employees. At the end of the day, we all spend Um, a good amount of time at at work or remote in the remote environment, working with our colleagues um, and super important, I think, and and companies and employers know that we want to not only recruit, but retain um, Mm -hmm. individuals from diverse communities and backgrounds. And so how do we do that? But it has to be an overall overarching effort from the top leadership, but also throughout the organization. It's not a it doesn't just rest with the DEI manager. Or- oh no! If done well, it's everyone's responsibility. Absolutely, and for everyone to own it and to understand it, mm-hmm. and um, be part of just creating and, that culture and care and caring about it. Like <laughs> again, you can't be you can't be rowing upstream. Everyone's got to care about it, and it can't be just lip service. Which I think there's been a whole lot of lip service for years about diversity. And in some of the, the social movements, I think Me Too, Love is Love, Black Lives Matter, the culmination of George Ford being murdered in front of our eyes, I think people really started to put budget. Mm-hmm. And it wasn't just lip service, because I think before probably all of those movements, it, it really was lip service. Like, at least I felt that way. Mm-hmm. And I hate that someone had to die or multiple people had to die for people to get serious about it. But it does seem at least from the outside looking at it, it does seem like people are more serious about actually doing something about DEI. Yes, I think you're absolutely right. It has come more to the forefront of everyone's mind, unfortunately, because of tragic events and Mm -hmm. major cultural movements. It's also corporate social responsibility, I think, is it just it just it not only looks good, but it is good for the community. It's good for the organization. Um, we have to lift 
up our communities. We have to get involved. We have to not just um, make a statement. You have to actually put the actionable um, items, tasks, responsibilities, budget behind those statements to make it real and to make a, a real impact. You've mentioned retention a couple of times. That's actually your second, second part of our discussion today. One of the things I've known or seen, excuse me, known, seen in the recruitment process with Gen Z, we'll just say, is the one thing they want to see is they want to see more people in Gen Z in the recruiting process. Shocking, not shocking, right? They want to see people like themselves at the organization. And I would assume some of the same things apply indeed, that people that are of diverse backgrounds, they want to see people that kind of look like them, act like them, et cetera, et cetera. They can relate. Okay, so let's say we've done a great job of recruiting. Fantastic. <laughs> now what? <laughs> how, mm-hmm. do, how do they, what are the programmatically or otherwise, how do you retain the talent that you brought in? Again, being intentional and having, just like you said, with Gen Z and having individuals in the early stages of when you walk in and look around, or if you are on the on the company's social media, what are you seeing? Are there people that look like me? Will this be an environment that will allow me to be myself and show up as authentically? It's important. So I think having like employee resource groups is important. Mm-hmm. Um, an opportunity for individuals like-minded, either culturally or other ways to get together, discuss ideas, just being creative and having maybe other meetup sort of groups. It doesn't right. have to be as formal as an employee resource group. It could be people that like to hike or here at LaunchGo, we recently um, started up a knitting group, knitting over lunch, but as a way to bring people together and learn a new hobby or a new skill, meet your colleagues. There are also like women in tech meetup groups or blacks in tech meetup groups, Latinos. It can range, but I think having those spaces and opportunities for like-minded employees to get together, discuss ideas, talk about maybe things outside of work and getting to, getting to know each other is really important. Is there any, uh, first of all, I love ERGs, SIGs. I just love the idea of people getting the other like-minded people, but also allies being able to come in and understand what's going on. What's your take on the information that's inside ERGs being distributed, dis, not just dis, dis, distributed to the rest of the organization? So like inside of an ERG, any ERG, things are learned. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of it's just networking and discussion and just like people, like-minded people just being together. And right. some of it, there's also some things that are being learned. If, sometimes I feel like that's trapped inside mm-hmm. the ERG. And I wanted to get your take on if, if I have that right, how do, how do we get that information out to the rest of the company? Yeah, no, William, that's a, a great point. It cannot just stay trapped within the ERG. I think in order for, things to come to the surface, be flushed out, and to be difficult, sometimes difficult to address, but necessary. There has to be maybe an executive sponsor or champion of that group and that relationship ability to for someone from that ERG, a lead, or even just a member to have a conversation and to share that information with the leadership or executive team so that if there are 
actions or, or things that need to change, policies, things that need to be addressed, it absolutely has to come out. Otherwise, it'll continue to fester or could um, hinder the growth of the organization and hurt the culture. So I think there absolutely has to be those lines of communication and trust established between the ERG members and the leadership team. A question that probably comes up more often than not is who's tracking retention? Is it the the line managers? Is it HR? Because again, doing a wonderful job recruiting, putting things in places programmatically, meeting people where they are. How do we know? Because you know, the, the reason the question comes up for me is the beginning of COVID. Mm-hmm. It was just chaos, 2020, just chaos. We laid off a lot of people. At the end of the year, there was a lot of another round of layoffs disproportionately affecting women and within that disproportionately affecting african-american women and i've I've, since then i've who wasn't looking (laughs) who wasn't looking at the numbers like who wasn't paying attention to what was going on like either that was deliberate which is really uh, cynical Mm -hmm. or they just didn't they weren't looking at the holistic pie when they made layoffs so i guess the question is who looks at retention? Who's responsible for retention on one hand, but also in the analytics of retention? Who's keeping an eye on what's working, what's not working? Hmm. Yeah, that's a great question, William. I would say that retention is falls in the hands of the frontline manager, but also much higher up with um, the people operations or HR leadership. The CEO um, is also, I think, has the overall um, review or the board of directors even at the highest level to look at what are our retention, how are we doing, where are we missing the mark, um, what else we could be doing. Because to the turnover and to lay people off and then have to rehire them, retrain them, to lose the institutional knowledge, all of that is Uh, very costly for an organization, not to mention just brand awareness and and how that might set the organization back quite quite a bit just by losing that. So I think not only the frontline manager, but at almost every level, the CFO looked at the, the bottom line. And yes, it might make sense to make a few reductions in work the workforce. However, just being strategic and looking at how that the demographics right. and uh, of that and to make sure that it is equitable and well, it's, it's impacting the it's impacting the progress that's been made like here we are talking today just so happens to be the day that the supreme court strikes down affirmative action which i never again i didn't never thought roe versus wade would be overturned in my life nor did i think that affirmative action would be overturned in my lifetime but here it is. Now we're now we have to. It feels like we're going to go backwards. We're going to slide backwards for a while. And I think mm-hmm. companies have to. They also have to look at that and say, okay, when we again layoffs happen, that's mm-hmm. just a part of life and part of business. But if we're going to have the layoffs, how can we do them in a way that doesn't put us back into a situation where we have to start all these programs over? Yeah, I think it is also makes a difference when they are diverse leadership at the table mm. and having the conversation yep. 
on how these layoffs are happening. Good call. Um, which of the employees are impacted? How are we um, providing severance or other? It's you know, the voices at the table. The voices at the table matter. If it's seven middle-aged pear-shaped white guys, myself included, mm -hmm. then they're not. They're probably not going to think about that. Truth right. be told, they're going to be thinking about how do we do this and rip the Band-Aid off and all of the other stuff, but they might not be thinking other people, other voices at the table would say, hey, we need to look at gender, we need to look at race, we need to look at the programs that we've built and do this in a way that, again, doesn't take us back 20 years or 30 Absolutely. years or whatever. And if the organization does not have those voices already on the team, I would... Yeah recommend yeah. that they bring in someone so mm -hmm. there is diverse representation at the table and the company is like thinking of this at a holistic more total impact i love it you're doing god's work i appreciate you and thank you for carving out time and coming on the podcast thank you so much william this has been so fun i look forward to listening and to sharing and to even checking out more of your shows oh, thank, thank you. you so much for the opportunity today Absolutely. And thanks for everyone listening. Until next time. You've been listening to the Recruiting Live podcast by Recruiting Daily. Check out the latest industry podcasts, webinars, articles, and news at recruitingdaily.com.